Your people have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. I alone am left, and now they seek to take my life. How long will you people waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If all, follow him. Anani Adonai Anani, Fiadu Ha'am Hazet, Kiata Adonai Ha'Elohim. I will have my revenge, Elijah. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. Why did you ever come here? A holy man barging in, exposing my sin and killing my son. Give me your son. Adonai Elohai Tashavna, Nefesh HaYelet Hazeh I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450. Let them call on the name of their God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, He is God. prophet named Elijah. So if you have your Bible today, or if you're on the Bible app, go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 is where we're starting today. That's where we're introduced to Elijah. We don't know much about his early life, about his childhood, about his upbringing. Uh, however, we are introduced to him right here at 1 Kings chapter 17. So follow along with me, if you will. It says this, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba and Galid, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. We're going to take a look at this uh, short story with Elijah and the first time that we're introduced to him. Before we do that, though, as always, would you just go before the Lord with me, ask for his help with that. Uh, again, I know I've said this before, but I hope this doesn't become a routine for you. Uh, this is truly something that uh, we want to do. We want to just take a pause and just say, God, we need your help with this. Because we don't want to be Christians who just sit here and read the Bible and hear a goofy pastor preach a sermon and leave unaffected. But we want to be the type of people who are growing in our relationship with the Lord and who read God's Word and take it seriously. So pray with me, if you will. Father, we just thank you so much for your good and perfect Word. And as we talk about it today, I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives, soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us. And Jesus, as we start talking about this, this person who you raised up, Elijah, to bring a message before your people, you know, Father, I pray that we would take that seriously and that we could also be those type of people that did the same thing that Elijah did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, hey, uh, part of my story about coming to faith is that uh, I grew up in church. I grew up going to church, uh, but it wasn't until I was about 16 years old that I really started taking uh, Jesus seriously. I uh, went to a youth conference, and uh, I felt like God really spoke to me there. And he said, hey, you got to take this seriously. You're either in or you're out. And I said, well, then I'm in. Shortly after that, I felt the call to become a pastor. And so um, uh, something that I had seen, this was when I was a freshman in high school, something that I had seen upperclassmen do when they had become a senior is to do an internship with whatever field that they were interested in going into. And so as a freshman, I thought, man, that would be sweet. There would be nothing cooler than being able to get out of school for two periods a day and go hang out with my youth pastor. I was like, man, that would be awesome. And so uh, right from the spring of my freshman year, uh, when you do your class scheduling to go into the next year, I told my counselor, I said, hey, whatever we got to do, I want to do that my senior year. I want to go intern at my church. So whatever we need to do in the next couple of years to get ready for that, I want to do that. And so uh, the counselor said, okay, let's let's make it happen here. We got to do some rearranging, but we could definitely make that happen if that's something you're serious about. And so I had some time before this. I had about two and a half years before I would go into that. All my sophomore and junior and part of my senior year even, I was waiting for this. And I just kept thinking, man, this is going to be sweet. I'm going to see the pastors in their office and the amazing work that they do. And then I remember the first day, it was the second trimester, the first day of school. I got out of fourth period. I drove right to the church. I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. It was right when my youth pastor was sitting down for lunch. And I never forget, I walked into his office and he was right in front of his, his, uh, his desk here. He had his computer and he's sitting there watching a YouTube video, eating a Hot Pocket. And I thought, this is it, huh? This is what it means to be a pastor. Like, you're just kind of a normal dude, <laughs> like, right? Like, this is, okay, all right. Uh, by the way, if you ever come into my office, uh, just there's no surprises. I'm a normal dude, just like he was. And I kind of got thinking, like, man, this is going to be so cool and so epic. And it was, but it wasn't necessarily what I thought. And sometimes when we think about these Old Testament characters, especially somebody like Elijah, we can have these like huge expectations, right? Like this is a man of God that, man, he did amazing things. And that's true. We'll get into that in just a moment. But this is what the New Testament says about Elijah. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he's just a normal dude, just like you and I. In fact, in 2 Kings uh, uh, like I said, Elijah comes onto the scene in, in the end of 1 Kings here in chapter 17. And by 2 Kings, it's rolling around and people do not like this guy. And so they're trying to describe this interaction that they had and they're trying to describe Elijah. And this is how they do it in 2 Kings 1.8. They said they answered him, he wore a garment with hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Now think about this, it's just a normal guy. They're just describing a normal guy. In fact, in the Hebrew, in the original language here, if you see that word, the garment of hair, uh, this word, and some of your Bible translations will even translate it to this, uh, he was a hairy man. So it's kind of vague. In Hebrew, it could be that he's wearing something with hair on it or that he himself is a hairy man. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment because sometimes we elevate these prophets, these men of God or women of God in the Old Testament and they're describing this guy, and he's like, uh, I, I don't know, he's really hairy. Uh, I, he, I don't know, there's hair sticking out of his ears and back. I, I don't know, he's just a normal-looking 
guy. In other words, there's no halo going on. There's no glowing, right? He doesn't look any different. He's just a normal dude. But he was a very important prophet at a very important time. In fact, he was so important that he has the privilege of being one of the only two people in the Old Testament not to die a physical death. You see, he, him and Enoch were both taken up by God. 2 Kings 2.11 says this, As they went uh, and, uh, on and talked, behold, and he's talking with his protege, Elisha, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. God took Elijah, and he didn't suffer from a physical death. Again, he's only one of two guys in the Old Testament ever to have that happen to him. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 4, Jesus, uh, they call this the transfiguration, but Jesus, he has his disciples there with him. Uh, He has uh, just his three closest ones, Peter, James, and John. He brings them up and he says, hey, I need to show you who I really am here. And he uh, transforms into his heavenly form out of his physical body and into his heavenly form. And look what happens in Mark chapter 9, verse 4. It says, There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So I don't know about you, but if I'm talking there with Jesus in heaven, uh, my guess is you probably are a pretty important guy. Now, people theorize about Elijah, and this is just a theory, but if you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, there are two witnesses that come onto the scene. It's kind of a last-ditch effort. In other words, they're saying, hey, listen, here's your last call. If you want to worship Jesus, if you want to choose Jesus, hey, this is the time. This is the last call. That's these two witnesses' job, and they end up killing them. So the theory that some people have is that Enoch, he's the other one, who never suffered a physical death in the Old Testament. Elijah and Enoch are those two witnesses. Now, again, that's just a theory, but they're getting that from Malachi chapter 4. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, we get that Elijah is an important guy, but he's also in the scene at a very important time as well. Uh, see, what's happened so far with Israel is, we all know this, they got out of Egypt, they wandered around the desert for 40 years, they got into the promised land, and then most people's kind of uh, uh, knowledge of the Old Testament kind of fades from there, because Israel's history is very up and down. Once they get into the promised land, uh, you could read the book of Judges, but man, it is just up and down and up and down. They're faithful, they're not faithful, they're faithful, they're not faithful. And then they get some kings because they're crying out to God, we want to be just like the other countries, we want to have a king. And so King Saul comes and then David and Solomon. And what happens is Israel is so unfaithful that they actually split into two separate nations. You have ten tribes in the north, they call that Israel, and two tribes in the south. They call that Judah. And what happens is Elijah is on the scene after that happens and after several kings have reigned over the northern kingdom of Israel. The king at this point, when Elijah is a prophet here, is called Ahab. This is what happens in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. This is right before we're introduced to Elijah. It says, And Ahab, remember, he's the, the king of Israel at this point, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Just a few verses later, it says, And Ahab made an Asherah, that's a pagan idol, 
uh, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, I don't know about you, but man, that's bad. Like, he went down in history as like the worst king ever. Ahab's a bad guy. And so Elijah, we realize, is here in a very important time. And a couple of chapters later in verse, uh, or in cha- sorry, in chapter 18, verse 22, we find out that Elijah is actually the only prophet left. He says this, I, even I only, am left, a prophet of the Lord, but all prophets are 450 men. See, one of the things that uh, made Ahab the king so bad is that he married a woman who served pagan and idolistic gods. And so when he married that woman, she brought along with her all of these idols. And so Ahab starts setting up all of these idols. One of the worst ones were Baal. And that's when uh, this is saying, and we'll get to this eventually here in a few weeks, but there's this instant where Elijah is up against all the other prophets of Baal. It's a pretty epic story, but we'll get there in just a moment. Today, we're just focusing on, right, the first scene of Elijah's life right here in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It tells us this about Elijah, that he was a Tishbite of Tishba in Galid. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of the time when we read those uh, those places and sometimes names, we just kind of skip over them because we don't realize what's going on here. But these are actually really important to understand who Elijah was. I mentioned earlier that Israel had split into two kingdoms. I've got a map here. We can see the northern one on top, the southern one on the bottom. The vast majority of Israel is in between two bodies of water. And on the east side, you'll have the Sea of Galilee, then the Jordan River, and that'll flow into the Dead Sea in the south. On the west side, then, you're going to see the Mediterranean Sea. Most of Israel is going to be in between these two bodies of water. But you can see right here on the eastern side, there's a little strip of land there. Now, uh, this strip of land was inhabited by two and a half tribes. So you have two tribes that were fully there, and then you have a half tribe that is on both sides of that Jordan River. This is where Elijah's from. Now, these, this part of Israel, uh, in my interpretation, is kind of like a flyover state in our country today. It's kind of like living in Indiana, right? Like, you got some famous things happening, right? You got the Indy 500, uh, Michael Jackson grew up in Gary that's about it, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot going on. And there's some famous things that happen over on that little strip of land east of the Jordan River, but there's just not a whole lot going on. And isn't it just like God to use somebody from a little flyover state in Israel here from a place where there's not a whole lot going on? See, this is kind of a theme throughout Scripture. God will use the younger sibling. He'll use the foolish to shame the wise. He'll use the lowly to shame those highly regarded. This is Elijah's story. He's just a normal guy from a normal place. In fact, this is a really hilly country as well. Most people were pretty rough and tumble uh, that, that came from this area. And so I kind of imagine Elijah is kind of this rough-and-tumble, hairy kind of guy. Today, maybe you'd see him like working in a mechanic shop or something. You're just like kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of a guy. He's a hairy guy, and he walks right in before the king. Again, this is a big deal. Sometimes when we read this, he goes, okay, we've got this random guy who's talking to the king of Israel. Okay, what's going on here? This is a big deal. I mean, think about some random Joe Schmo from Indiana going to the White House and talking to the president. 
Okay, this is a huge deal. He probably has a lot of anxiety going into this, right? Like this is a huge deal. And he says this to him nonetheless. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay, this is literally like walking into the White House and telling the president, hey, there's going to be an economic collapse worse than the Great Depression, and it's not going to end until I say that it ends. Now, uh, my guess is if you did that, you'd probably get laughed and thrown out, right? I mean, that's probably what would happen. That might be what's going through Ahab's uh, brain at this point. We don't know for sure, but here's what it tells me about Elijah. It tells me a few different things. As we're introduced to Elijah here, this is the first scene. And it tells us, I think, four things. Number one, it says this. It says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. He knew that God lives in a culture that wanted to worship pagan, idolistic gods. Elijah knew, man, my God lives, and I stand in his presence. Elijah was a guy who stood in God's presence. It reminds me of Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, that says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, whom I trust. How close do you have to stand to be in someone's shadow? Pretty obnoxiously close, right? Like, probably closer than is socially accepted. And Elijah, he's saying, man, that's me. I'm standing next to God. We also know that Elijah was a man of prayer. Remember James chapter 5, verse 17 said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And it goes on to say, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. And it did not rain on the earth. Elijah prayed that this would happen. He was not only a man who stood close to God, that was in God's presence, he was also a man who prayed continuously. Now, why did he have that boldness to pray that prayer? I think it was because Elijah was a man of Scripture. Remember, Deuteronomy is uh, Moses' pep talk, right before Joshua will take them in to get the promised land. This is kind of a pep talk. I think this is a, a Scripture that Elijah especially knew. It's De- Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. It says, Take care, lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord is giving you. Elijah was a man who stood in God's presence. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who knew Scripture. And he was a man who was bold and courageous. He went right before the king and he said, this is what's going to happen. And it's not going to stop until I say so. It reminds me of what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to this church. And he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is the type of courage that I think Elijah had. He was a bold man, and he walked right in front of King Ahab, and he said, it's not going to rain. Now, we look at a scene like that, and we go, man, that is amazing. And you'd almost expect for the outcome, 
for Elijah's next scene of, of his life to be, man, man, he's just going to be prayed around. People are going to love this guy, and uh, people are going to get behind him. He's going to turn hearts to the Lord. This is going to be a great thing. Yeah, it might be tough, but man, it is going to be great. And uh, oh man, I am just so excited. And this is what it says. This is the outcome of Elijah's faithfulness. You ready for it? Verses 2 and 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward. Remember, that's where he's from. He's going back to the hilly and rocky country. And hide yourself by the brook Sherith, which is east of Jordan. Okay, so Elijah marches in front of the king. And the outcome of this, of his faithfulness, of following God here, is to go hide himself next to a brook that's going to dry up because there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. Okay, all right, okay, so this is a kind of a turn of events, at least, if you're anything like me, if you're reading this and you're like, what? That's the outcome of Elijah's faithfulness. Here's what I think that we need to understand, is that oftentimes, when we're faithful to what God wants us to do, we can have these kind of preconceived notions of what we think God will do because of our faithfulness. Man, if I'm faithful here, man, my marriage is just, it's going to be amazing and nothing wrong will ever happen. If I'm faithful here, I'm going to get the better job. I'm going to have a higher income. I'm going to drive a better car. We're going to live in a bigger house. Everything's going to be great. If I'm faithful here, then I'm going to have a great relationship with my kids. If I'm faithful here, I'm going to be successful. And oftentimes, when we are faithful, God says, great. Now it's time to go to the training grounds. And that's what happens for Elijah. The first thing I think that we need to realize is that the outcome of faithfulness is often not prestigious. Now, sometimes it can be. But as a general rule of thumb, when we see in Scripture over and over and over, is when people are faithful to do what God wanted them to do, such as the case here in Elijah. He's faithful to go before the king as God called him to do. Oftentimes, that next season of life is very, very difficult. I think of David being called up to be the next king of Israel. And he spends literally decades running from the current king, Saul, for his life. It's a difficult season that David went through. Many of the Psalms in your Bible are written during that difficult time in David's life. Three things that God will often do when we are faithful to what he calls us to do, the actual outcome of faithfulness. Um, I, I kind of look at these things, and it's kind of like those terms and conditions, like on your iPhone that nobody ever reads, you know? Like you download a new app, and there's like all these terms and conditions, and they're going to steal all your information or whatever, and you just push agree because you just want the cool picture or whatever the app does, right? Um, this is kind of like what this is. Because sometimes we say, man, I'm going to be faithful what God calls me to do, and then the next season of life is often very difficult. And sometimes we go, man, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I'm just going to go back to doing what I, uh, whatever I was doing before this. And we stop being faithful to what God wants us to do. If you're going to be faithful, you've got to fully understand what the outcome of this looks like. Because this is what it often looks like. Is it will look like God putting you in difficult situations so that your faith is deepened. Think of Elijah. Uh, after this amazing situation, he goes before the king. Everybody knows this king. He's right before him. And then he has to go sit next to a brook that's going to dry up in a hilly, rocky country where no one's around. 
It reminds me of Genesis chapter 39 uh, of Joseph. It says, And Joseph's master took him. Remember, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then the master took him and put him into prison. This is because uh, the master's wife hit on him. And then she lied about it. And then he got in trouble for it. And so he gets put in prison. And the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there was in, uh, then he was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and great favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It reminds me of Paul. After he's faithful to what God wants him to do, and he's doing his ministry, and then he uh, gets a demon out of a little girl who people are uh, using to make money off of. And then those people get upset. And you know what happens? It says this in Acts chapter 16. It says the crowd joined him in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And then what happens is it says this, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Now think about this. Paul is faithful to what God is calling him to do. He's going around doing what Jesus wants him to do. And he lands up in prison for being faithful to what God called him to do. There's a biblical concept here that we read about in James chapter 1. Right at the beginning of the book, James tells us this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's almost like Elijah and these other biblical characters that we're introduced to are faithful to what God wants them to do. And God says, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're faithful. Now we're going to make you more faithful. Now we're going to make you more able to do my will in any situation in your life. It's like what Psalm 23, chapter, or verse 4 says. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, look at this, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Have you ever thought about that before? Now, this is a famous uh, chapter, Psalm 23. Have you ever thought about the rod and the staff? I mean, those are, that, that, that's what a shepherd has to keep the sheep in line, right? My guess is the sheep look at that and they're like, ooh, I don't, want, I don't want them to use that, right? I'm going to stay in line here. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to get a knock on the noggin here. This is not going to be comfortable. And yet, this is what Psalm 23 tells us. It's God's staff and rod that comfort us. It's God putting us in these situations to grow us deeper in our faith. And it's only through those situations that we grow in our faith to do what God wants us to do. This is how we get the attitude of 1 John 5, 3, which says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The rod and the staff are no longer a burden. It's what keeps us in line. It's what keeps us going where God wants us to go. And oftentimes, that's a difficult situation. And so here's what I want you to do. The next time that you find yourself in a difficult situation, maybe you find yourself there today. Maybe you're in a season of life and you're saying, man, this season of life is not what I expected it to be. It, it, it looks different than what I thought it would be. In fact, it's a lot worse than what I thought it would be. Instead of blaming God, which is often our tendency, and asking God, why did you do this to me? Why am I in this situation? Instead, ask God, how are you trying to grow me? 
How are you trying to stretch me? How are you trying to improve my faith? Like it says in James chapter 1. How much more steadfastness can I have? So often God will put us in difficult situations so that our faith is deepened. Two more things that I think we see from this story in Elijah, though. Verse 4, it says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and lived by the brook Sharif, which is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I want you to ask yourself a question. We have a faithful Jewish man, Elijah, who's getting fed by unclean animals birds okay even today even though we are allowed to eat them based on scripture right jesus makes all food clean for us to eat today i I don't know about you i don't necessarily want to eat something that a bird is feeding to me right i mean they're kind of gross they're kind of like germy animals right and um what kind of meat is a bird picking up right like either worms or roadkill, right? I mean, this is kind of gross. And yet, think about this. The ravens literally are dropping food for Elijah to eat. Now, this is the outcome of faithfulness. Elijah walked right into the king, did what God wanted him to do. And then God said, okay, we got to get you out of here. I want you to hide by a creek, sit here and do nothing, right? There's no TikTok. There's no Instagrammy. There's no scrolling reels right now, okay? Right? He's just sitting there waiting for the birds to come to give him scraps of food to eat. Okay, this is a difficult situation that he finds himself in. But oftentimes, God is going to put us in difficult situations and he's going to provide for our needs in unconventional ways. And what this does is when he provides for us in these unconventional ways is it causes us to trust in him over the provision. You ever um, kind of trust in the number in your bank account? Right? Like everything's good until that number gets a little bit low. You log onto the app and you're looking and you go, oh man, that's a little bit low. Better try praying, right? Or better try going, working a little bit harder. Or maybe you have a job that's really, uh, just got a really good, steady income for you. And it's so easy to trust in that income, right? Over the person who gave you the ability to go and earn that income in the first place. God. Right? Like sometimes we can, it's so easy just to trust in our own ability. It's so easy just to trust in our own situation over the Lord. And I think what the Lord is trying to teach Elijah here is he's saying, hey, listen, it's not your ability to feed yourself that's going to get you by. It's the ability for me to feed you to get you by. It reminds me of what Jesus says on his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will tell us this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, look at this. this. This doesn't say supply all of your wants. It doesn't say he's going to supply every want and desire that you have, but it does say every need. That God's providing for Elijah 
and he'll provide for us as well. Second Peter 1.3 tells us, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Here's the Josh Fisher translation of this. God is going to give you everything you need to do everything that he's called you to do. In other words, he's not going to call you to do something if he, you have absolutely no way of doing this. And so here's what you can be sure of. If God calls you to do something, you can be faithful. You have what it takes. God is going to give it to you. And he's going to give it here to Elijah. Now, it's different than I'm sure Elijah would like. I'm sure if Elijah chose, he'd maybe be at an end. Maybe he'd be at someone's house and they can cook for him. Uh, instead, he's getting scraps of bread and meat from birds. But it's still what he needs to survive. God's still looking after Elijah. And I think as he does, he's teaching him. He's teaching him, trust in me over the provision. Trust in me over your own abilities to provide for yourself. One more thing that God will often put us in situations to do, and he puts Elijah in this situation. It says at the end here in verse 7, After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So this little stream that he's next to, it dries up. And it's from Elijah's own prayers that this dries up. And the next two verses, and we'll go into this a little bit deeper next week, but it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. This is a Gentile land. This is outside of Israel. Elijah, as a good Jewish person, really shouldn't be wandering outside of Israel. And yet God says, this is exactly what I want you to do. This is your next step. And I'm going to give you a widow to provide for you. Now, back then, widows didn't have life insurance. Widows weren't well taken care of. In fact, they often struggled to provide for themselves. We're going to find out next week that this widow actually had her last meal with her and that was it that's all she had for her and her son she had nothing more and she says this in in the next chapter she's or in the next uh, story here she she says hey listen this is all the food i have i'm gonna feed it to myself and my son and then we're gonna die because we have nothing left and this is the way that god is providing for Elijah. He's stretching him. He's growing him. In this difficult season of Elijah's life, where Elijah is faithful, he's growing him. He's stretching him. He's saying, I have what you need, but you need to be faithful, not only in the provision, but also where I want you to go to next. This is what God often does for our lives too. He'll only point to the next step He'll only point to this next step of our life. Now, not always. Sometimes God's going to give you 10 steps down the road. But oftentimes, he's only going to point to, just like he does with Elijah, this next step so that we continually lean on him. Uh, in other words, God totally could have said, hey, I want you to go to this Gentile land. I want you to go to this widow here. Uh, after, after you say this to King Ahab, I want you to go to the widow. He didn't. He said, I want you to go to this brook first. Then I'm going to send you to this widow. Afterwards, he'll send him even further. Why? So that Elijah learns to lean on the Lord, just like he has for his provisions. It reminds me of what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make straight your paths. 
Here's what we know about God. Philippians 1.6 tells us this. Grace read this earlier for us this morning. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God's working this out. This season of your life, man, it may not be what you thought it would be. You may be really disappointed. Maybe you're crying out to God in this season of your life and you're saying, why are things like this? Why is this not how I thought it would be? I thought I was faithful and then the outcome was really hard. If that's the case, you're in really good company because Elijah was there too. And this is what God's promising us. Romans 8.28 He's going to work together. He's going to work all these things together for His glory and for our good. The only condition here is that we love Him. God says, you love me, I'm going to work this out. Doesn't mean it's going to be worked out exactly how you would like it to be worked out. But God says, I'm going to work it out for my glory and for your good. Oftentimes when we're faithful, the next season is hard. In fact, many seasons can be really difficult and really hard. And yet, this is where God stretches us. This is where God moves us in our faith. This is where we grow the most. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, think about your life. Think about your faith journey. When are the times where you grew in your faith the most? Was it the times where, man, everything was really easy? Everything was just smooth sailing? You had all the money you needed? You had all the things you needed? All your relationships were good? Or was it the times, man, where things were rough? Things were really hard. And you leaned on God, just like Elijah did in this moment. You leaned on God. And that's how you learned to trust Him. That's how you learned to continually go to Him, to stand with God just as Elijah did, and where your faith was deepened. If this season of life, man, if it just doesn't seem like you want it to to be, it's okay. Allow God to move you and to deepen your faith. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this story, for Elijah, for his faithfulness. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a good, good God that didn't leave us alone, that didn't let us just fend for ourselves. But God, you care for us. In fact, you care for us so much that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with you that we could be saved from our sin. Father, thank you for that. I pray that as we find ourselves in difficult situations, God, I pray that we would remain faithful. God, would you help us to be faithful in all that we do? Would you help us to do what you call us to do? Would you help us? Would you grow our faith? Would we grow closer to you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.